or maybe a conference or a seminar or work training event, and you've learned something or you were taught something, and you just thought, there's never, there's no way I'm ever going to use this in my real life. Yeah? Anybody? Yeah, I know I've been there. My senior year of high school, I'm not the best at science. I was pretty decent at the other subjects in school, but I'm not the best at science. And my senior year of high school, I let some of my friends talk me into taking advanced placement chemistry. There was absolutely no reason I needed to be in an AP chemistry class, but I let some of my friends talk me into AP chemistry. I did make it through the class, but I can 100% assure you that I have never, no, not once, used anything that I learned from that class in my real life. It's not that the class was bad, but it's because I had, and I still have, absolutely no desire to do anything chemistry-related. I'm bad at it, I don't like it, and I don't want to think about it. I don't think about chemistry in my daily life. In fact, I graduated six years ago, and this week, as I was preparing this, I thought more about chemistry this week than I have in the past six years. I don't, I don't like chemistry. It's not a part of my daily life. AP chemistry was, it was part of my life for one school year, and that was it. And outside of those five hours a week that I was in class, AP chemistry was not a part of my real life. It had no effect on me whatsoever. And I'm sure that every person in here has learned something in your life that you thought you've never used, that you'll never use, or even you've had no intention to use in your real, everyday life. And I just wonder if any of us have the, the same mentality toward Christianity that I had toward AP chemistry. Going through the motions, but never letting it take root in our real, everyday lives. We're going to be looking at the last verses in Acts chapter 2. So go ahead and turn there. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. We'll be looking at the last six verses of Acts chapter 2. Before we dive in, let's give a little context of this church that we're going to see here. We're familiar with Acts 2 because this is where we see Peter's sermon at Pentecost, where he preached and 3,000 people were saved. A great number of Christians were, became, people became Christians that day. Peter preached a Christ-exalting sermon, and as a result of the Spirit and the Word at work, 3,000 people were saved. Important thing we see here is that God builds His church by His Word. Just as God spoke creation into existence in Genesis chapter 1, we see God speak this new creation, this new community of believers into existence through His mighty Word. The church is God's plan. That plan is bigger than the random conversion of a few individuals. Christianity is personal, but it's not individualistic. It's corporate. Jesus is saving a people, a group of people for himself. And in this passage, Luke explains who the early church was and what they did. And as we look at the early church, we're going to see how they lived their lives and what they did in their real daily lives. And by the end of this, we should have a better understanding of how we as a church, we as Hillcrest Baptist Church, are to live out our Christian faith in our real daily lives. Let me pray, and let's dive into God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that we can gather to study and to worship you. 
And God, I pray that as we look at this text and we look at the lives of these real believers, these real life people, and we see this real faith lived out, I pray that it would challenge each of us to live out real life Christianity. Bless this time now, and may you speak to us, and may we respond in obedience to you. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So a couple things that we need to draw from this text as we we study this is the first thing is that the church was devoted. The church was devoted, but to what were they devoted? Well, the first thing they were devoted to was the apostles' teaching. The church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. These Christians, they didn't abandon the study of God's word, but rather they devoted themselves to it. They committed themselves to studying God's word. They didn't replace it with anything because there's nothing to replace the word of God. There's nothing we can substitute for the word of God. On Wednesday nights in youth, we've been studying through 2 Timothy And several times so far in this letter, we see Paul instruct Timothy to guard God's word, to study God's word, to faithfully live by God's word, to show himself as a worker approved. A healthy church devotes themselves to the word of God, commits themselves to the word of God. That's why we've been following a New Testament reading plan this year as a church, is to encourage us together to read God's word, to spend time in God's word. That's why we teach and preach God's Word each and every week. That's why we gather here on Sundays and on Wednesdays. It's because a healthy church is devoted to God's Word. Does that describe you personally? Are you devoted to God's Word? Am I devoted to God's Word? Are we, as a body of believers, are we devoted to God's Word? The early church was. Are we? But not only to the apostles' teaching, we see that the church was devoted to the fellowship. They were spiritually united, and this spiritual union worked itself, worked itself out into practical acts of love and support. They were devoted to the fellowship with one another because of their fellowship with Christ. Because they were in union with Christ, because they walked with Christ, they, they, the expression of their love for Christ was poured out to one another, and they had genuine love for each other. When you and I, when we are devoted to our fellowship with Christ, when we walk in constant union with Christ, we will long to be devoted to one another. We will long to be with each other. As Christians, you and I should long to be with one another. We should long to be edified and to strengthen and to be, just be with one another. Just in Christian fellowship, we should long to be with each other. The early church was devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They took the Lord's Supper together. In the Gospels, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he told his disciples that as often as they took this, they were to do so in remembrance of him. This practice is seen in the early church in Acts as they took the Lord's Supper together. 
And that's why we take the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of every month. That's why we take the Lord's Supper often. It's to remember what God has done for us. To remember the sacrifice He has paid. He paid the penalty for our sins. And He died on the cross. He bled to cover our sins so that we could be seen as the righteousness of God in Him. We take bread together. We take the bread and the cup to focus on Christ, to center our hearts and our minds on Christ. And we see this practice in the early church. So far as we can see, the early church was a Christ-centered community, and they were devoted to God, and they were devoted to one another. And lastly, we see that they were devoted to praying. The early church was devoted to praying. The church practiced both free and formal times of prayer. The believers prayed together corporately. They prayed together, they prayed personally without ceasing. They prayed in the temple. They prayed in homes. They prayed as they walked along the road, as they encountered the sick and afflicted. They prayed before they preached sermons. They prayed before they heard sermons. While they were being persecuted in planned times of intense intercession over particular situations, as they offered thanks for their food, as they gave thanks to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, as they praised God in song, as they offered up petitions for the Father to meet daily needs. Prayer was a part of their everything. It was, it was in every aspect of their life. Are we a praying church? Prayer was not a transitional time in worship services. It was not a ritual saying before meals. It was not a magic statement that grants our every wish of God. Prayer was communication with God. And the, the early church understood the importance of prayer, the privilege of prayer, the value of prayer. Are we a praying church? Do we pray fervently? Do we pray often? Do we pray intensely? This church constantly prayed in all aspects of their life to stay in constant communication with God. Are we a praying church? Are you devoted to prayer? Not only was the church devoted, but we see, secondly, that the church had all things in common. The church had all things in common. They weren't selfish. The, the, the church we see here, they weren't selfish. They shared everything they had. They did not view their own possessions as just simply things that they could use for themselves and only for themselves. But they understood that everything they had was given to them by God, and they sought to bless others with it. They sought to use their possessions, their belongings, to be tools to be used to serve others. They shared with those who were in need, especially other believers, and they sought to be generous with what they had with each other. They weren't selfish with their things. I know for me, I, I, I like things my way, especially things that I really like and I'm really particular about. I like them to be my way. I don't like anybody else to touch it. I, I like things straight and organized and neat. And if somebody else comes and messes it up and it's a shared thing, it's really difficult for me to try to be okay with that. But understanding that my possessions are not my possessions. They're not my belongings. They're gifts given to me by God that are to be used for His service. And I'm not to be selfish with them. We are not to be selfish with our belongings, with our possessions. The early church was not selfish. The early church held their possessions loosely. They held their possessions loosely. How many of you right now would go and sell your car and give every penny of that to a brother or sister in the church that was in need? 
Go right now and sell something. Sell something. Not, I'm not talking about selling something that doesn't really mean a lot to you. Like, oh, I, can, I can live without that. What, how many of you would go and sell something dear to you and give the money to somebody in this church or another brother and sister in Christ who is in need? We see here in verse 45 that the believers were selling their possessions and their belongings and they were distributing all the proceeds to anybody who had a need. We're quick to sacrifice things or give away things that aren't important to us, but what about, what about those things that we hold so dearly? We, we like our things. We like our toys. It's Memorial Day weekend. I'm sure some of you, if you haven't already been to the lake, are probably getting ready to go to the lake and get on a boat and go ride around, maybe go fishing. How many of you would be willing to give that up if it meant that you could bless another brother or sister in Christ? You'd sell it and give the money to somebody who really needed it. We see this practice in the early church. They were more concerned about each other, so they were willing to sell their belongings and to take care of one another financially. We like our things. We hold our things so tightly. And a lot of times that can prohibit us from really being blessings to others. We love our toys. We love our homes. We love our vehicles, our accessories. And we just we hold so tightly to these things. We don't want anything to happen to them. We don't want them out of our control. We don't want them, we don't want them out of our lives unless we're ready to be done with them. We hold so tightly to things. Just think about what Hillcrest would look like. Think about what New Albany, Union County, Mississippi, what would, what would we, this area look like if we didn't hold so tightly to our things, but as we see here, we were willing to sell them. We were just willing to give it all up for the glory of God and say, Lord, this is yours anyway. I'm going to sell it. If you call me to sell it, I'm going to do it and give to those who are in need because I love you more than that. We see the early church was concerned about each other. They were concerned about each other. The early church generously gave to one another because they cared more about each other than they did their things. Paul wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2 and told them not to look out for only for their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't be concerned with just yourself, but be concerned with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be so inwardly focused that you're not concerned about your other members of the body of Christ. Christians are to care for one another. We're to be more concerned with each other than we are with ourselves. And that's what Jesus modeled. If you, if you continue on in Philippians chapter 2, as, G, as Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, hey, don't look out just for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. He then, in the very next verse, says, have the same mind that Christ had. And then goes on to explain how Christ humbled himself. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus wasn't concerned with himself. He was concerned for our salvation. He was concerned about our need. And he modeled that up into death. We as Christians, as the church of all people in this world, we should be ones who are concerned with each other. We should be concerned with each other more than we are with ourselves. We should seek to bless one another. We should seek to outdo one another with kindness in every way we possibly can. The church was devoted. The church had all things in common. The church lived together. The church lived life together. We see that the church lived life together. We see this in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. We see they worshipped together. And we see two contexts for this. We see that they worshipped together corporately, and they worshiped together privately, in large groups 
and in small groups. They worshiped together in the temple, a large group setting. The early Christians gathered for corporate worship just like we do today, every week. We gather here on Sunday mornings at 216 State Highway 15 South to worship. We gather here for corporate worship. They gathered for corporate worship often and day by day. Daily they were going to worship together. Not just once or twice a month or just on special holidays, but often. They were devoted to gathering for worship. They saw the importance of worshiping together as the body of Christ, and they devoted themselves to this. Just picture this. If you look back up to verse 41, we see the context of this early church, that Peter preached the sermon, and then 3,000 people were saved. Just picture it. 3,000 people devoted to God and to each other. 3,000 people devoted to gathering regularly for corporate worship. No microphone, no sound system, no colored lights, no cushion pews, no Don Chandler to lead worship with the band. None of this. No choir like this. But they were devoted to gather regularly for worship. They committed themselves. They devoted themselves to gather for corporate worship. Not just when it was convenient for them, but they devoted themselves. It's important that the body of Christ gather together for corporate worship. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that. Don't, don't neglect to gather together. But not only that, they also gathered in the homes. They gathered in small groups. Gathering together in homes in Christian fellowship was a regular thing for these Christians. When was the last time you had someone in your home? For the purpose of sharing a meal with them and talking with them about Christ. When was the last time you wanted somebody in your home, had somebody, another brother or another sister in your home to share a meal with them, to grow together in Christ? Some of us may only choose one over the other instead of seeing both gathering in large groups and in small groups as a value. We may say, well, I've got a lot going on this weekend, so I'm just going to sleep in a little bit, skip Sunday school, and I'll, I'll go to big church. I'm going to skip Sunday school this week and, and go to big church. Well, I kind of want to sleep in today, and I, I want to have a lazy day and stay in my PJs, so I just I don't feel like being around people. I'm just going to watch church online today. I'll, I'll catch up later. I'll get my church time in this week on, on Facebook or on our website. These believers that we see here, they knew the importance of gathering, of being together both in large groups and in small groups. And they devoted themselves to worshiping with one another in both of these contexts, in large group contexts and in a small group context. They longed to be together. They longed to worship together. Not only did they worship together, but they ate together. I once heard someone say, in a given day, I'm going to eat, and you're going to eat. So why not eat together, and we'll talk about Christ. And I think that's a great way to start living life together, as we see the early church did. Just living life together. Sharing a meal with somebody. Take what you're already doing in life, such as eating. Everybody eats, right? Take a meal, take a meal and seek to share that with another believer. Say, hey, call up a brother or a sister and say, hey, you're going to go grab lunch one day this week. We can just you know, strengthen each other and build each other up in our faith. We need that. Take what you're already doing in life and look for opportunities to share with other believers. We should always be open to opportunities to have 
other believers around our table for a meal to fellowship and to encourage one another in Christ. There's just something about sharing a meal together and gathering together over a meal that allows people to grow together and to get to know each other better. And if anyone wants to get to know me a little bit better or share a meal with me, I I promise I'm not a picky eater. We can grow together. I'll be more than happy. I like my steak medium if you want to cook. They ate together. They were glad and generous. They were glad and generous. Living life together with other believers was not a burden for the early church, but it was a joy and a pleasure to be able to know one another and to be involved in each other's lives. They enjoyed living life together. It wasn't a burden to come to church. It wasn't a burden to see other, their brothers and sisters outside of church. It wasn't a burden to see them meet up with them during the week and hang out or do something. It wasn't a burden for them. They enjoyed it. They shared life together. And they enjoyed living life with other believers. You and I, we should be glad to live life together. We should be glad that we get to live life in the joy of fellowship with other believers. We share an eternal life that has been given to us by Christ Jesus. And He has given us the joy and the privilege of being able to share life with one another. We have the privilege of living life with other believers, enjoying the fellowship of one another in Christ. That is a privilege and a joy that we have. And we should long for this. We should want to get to know each other better. We should want to live life together. It should bring us joy and gladness knowing that we get to live life with each other in the unity of Christ. Coming to church shouldn't be a burden. Living life outside of these walls with other Christians shouldn't be a burden. It should be a joy. We should long for this. And we see that as the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayer, and as they shared their belongings with one another, as they worshiped together, and as they lived life together, we see that God blessed the church. God blessed the church, and they grew together. God blessed the church, and they grew together. They grew two ways. They grew relationally, and they grew numerically. They grew relationally with God and with each other. As these Christians lived out their faith, as we see that they did in these verses, they grew in their relationship with God. They praised God. They, they worshiped God. They, they grew in their relationship with with God, and they grew in their relationship with one another as just being together, longing to be together. You want to know how you and I grow together relationally as a church and with our relationship with God and each other? We live out our faith. We live out real-life Christianity. We live out our faith in our daily lives. We don't just let our faith exist inside these walls. If you and I are to grow in Christ, if we're to grow in relationship with one another, we must live real life Christianity. I feel like too often we have this idea of Christianity that just exists here and nowhere else. It's, it's just here. And when we leave at noon or whatever, we go get lunch. And when we get home, it's, we're back to our lives, our real lives. If we're to ever grow in Christ, if we're ever to grow in with relationship with one another, we must take our faith outside these walls. We must live together. We must devote ourselves to God. 
We must devote ourselves to His Word, to each other, to worship, both corporate and private worship. We must live out our faith. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We're deceiving ourselves if we don't live out our faith in real lives. We're fooling ourselves if we're not living our faith out in real lives. How are you going to grow in your relationship with Christ if you never spend time with Christ and if He's never a part of your daily life? If Christ is not a part of your daily life, how in the world are you going to grow in relationship with Him? You're not. There's the answer. You're not. How in the world are you going to grow in relationship with your brothers and sisters if the only time you see them is at 10.30 on Sunday mornings? You're not. We're not really going to experience the fullness of being able to grow together as a church if we only exist here. If we don't live our faith outside these walls, it's going to be really hard for us, if not impossible for us, to grow. The early church, they lived out their faith. Their faith was real to them. It was, they defined everything they did. It was, that's how they lived their life, was by their faith. They lived real-life Christianity. And as a result of this, they grew relationally with God and with one another. We see they grew relationally, but also we see they grew numerically. They grew numerically. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see that in, last, in the last verse. And, day, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord grew the church relationally, but He also grew them numerically. A genuine Christian faith lives out. It's an attractive thing. Some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to just long for it and be drawn to it. And when you and I live out our faith in real life, people are going to notice. People are going to notice when you and I are real Christians. We live out real faith outside these walls. When we encounter people in our daily lives, people are going to notice. The early church was on fire for God. They were devoted to God and to each other. You can go back and read this text, and you can see that. And it's apparent that these believers were sharing their faith with one another. Let me tell you something. If you're, if you're doing these things right here, you're going to be on fire for God, and people are going to notice, and you're not going to be able to help but share your faith with other people. The world's going to see how you love one another. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John 13? That He said what? A new command I give you, that you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you and I love one another with this kind of love, if we live life together as this in true, genuine fellowship, if we, if we live real life Christianity, people are going to notice, and it will, you will not be able to help but to share your faith with other people. Their faith was real to them. It was lived out daily. And a side note, just as, just as the secret church theme for this year, there are more lost people outside of this building than there are inside of this building. Would you agree? There's more lost people outside of these walls than there are inside of these walls. And so if we ever hope to fulfill the Great Commission, if we ever hope to make disciples, if we ever hope to win the loss to Christ, how in the world are we going to do it if we never live our faith out in real life? If our faith is not real to us, how in the world are we going to be an obedient disciple? How in the world are we ever going to live, win the loss to Christ? How, how in the world are we going to fill, fulfill the Great Commission if we never live real life Christianity? 
If all it is is a facade, if all Christianity is is just an idea, if all Christianity is is just coming here on Sundays, how in the world, why, why would we do it? If there's no, why, why would we do it? We are to live our faith out so that we may win the loss of Christ, so that we may be disciples and make disciples. That is what Christ commands us to do, and that should be our longing. We should long to live our faith out in real life. This, what you see here in this text, this was real life for these Christians. This isn't just a story somebody made up. This was real life. This is what these Christians did. This is how they lived. This is who they were. It was real life for them. And I think far too often, many of us have the same mindset toward Christianity that I had and still have for AP Chemistry. We'll go through the motions. Sure, we'll come to church. We'll do what we're supposed to do while we're here. But when it comes down to it, we really may have absolutely no intention to ever let it take root in our lives and to live out our faith. How many, how many of us have been guilty of that? I know I have. Going through the motions, coming to church, doing the things while you're here, putting on your smile, dressing up nice, and saying hey to everybody, and being all friendly, and you know, yeah, it's a great sermon, great music today, and you leave and with absolutely no intention of ever letting it be a part of your real life. And that's got to change. That has to change. If we're ever going to be the church that God has created and called us to be, then that has to change. We must, we must live real life Christianity. I know far too many people, I've talked to far too many people who were lost. And a big reason of this, oh, well, I'm not coming to church. Everybody at church is a hypocrite. They, say, they, they go to church and do this thing, but you ought to see them in their daily lives. You ought to see them how they talk at work. You ought to see what they do on the weekends. It's because when we come here, we put on our happy face, and we go out and we don't live this. What's it going to take for us to do this? What's it going to take for us to live out our faith in real life? We're about to have a time that is specifically set aside for you to have a moment to respond to God. Brother Don's going to come up and lead us through him. But maybe your personal response looks a little bit different this morning. Maybe instead of standing and singing and going through the motions, maybe you need to reread this text and examine your life to see if, if you're living like this, if your life looks like this, if your desires are what we see in the early church, if you are living real-life Christianity. Maybe you need to respond in prayer, asking God to help you to be more devoted to Him and to His Word and to His church. Maybe you need to spend time in prayer, asking God to help you open your home so that you can have other believers in to grow together Maybe you need to come down to this altar and you need to lay down your possessions before God and say, God, I've been holding on to my stuff too tightly and I haven't been able to bless others because I've just got such a tight grip on my things. Maybe we need to open up and confess, God, I haven't been living real-life Christianity. I've been just kind of going through the motions, doing my own thing, not really worried about anybody else. I don't think I'm living a bad life, but when I read this, my life looks nothing like this. I'm not living... I'm not living my faith out. When I really think about it, my faith stops at 12 o'clock on Sunday. However you need to respond, I pray that you respond in obedience to God. 
whatever that may be for you, I sincerely pray that today each of us leave here ready to live out real life Christianity. Let's pray.